following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Office 30's review of League of Their Own. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you doing, sir? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm sitting right next to you. So. Yes, I, I should say I am literally joined <laughs> tonight. It's fine. It's nice to see you, like, in the flesh and not through the internet. Yeah, so we had one other time that we tried to do this at your house, and we screwed the pooch <laughs> we we, we uh, were recorded a whole dang podcast only to realize that your channel recorded mine didn't so michael's got a kind of a foolproof knockwood setup here tonight where we've got a recorder and we've got three microphones and it's the whole bells and whistles so if this fails, we're quitting the show. Yeah, if I, if I screw this one up, this is pretty, pretty bad. Particularly following up on last episode. Uh, anybody who didn't catch last episode, that was my time to, to screw up where I realized that I, or Mike realized I hadn't started recording about an hour into our recording. I, I think it was about like 48 minutes. Yeah. I was like, wow, we're pretty. And I was like, uh, it, the screen says ready to record. <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, so, I don't know, not a good track record, but hopefully we're going to do a little better tonight. (laughs) We all screw it up every once in a while. But I got to say, to start off, I didn't realize how long this movie was. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little longer than I remembered. Um, As a matter of fact, we we, uh, watched this with my daughter Zoe. She was really intent on watching this um, with us, and we only got to it late last night. Michael and I are doing this on kind of a uh, a much shorter schedule than we normally do these. Today being July 9th, so there's a little, like, look behind the curtain. We never record the second episode for for a month. We're like, oh, wait, it's due this Friday. What do you got going on Wednesday night? (laughs) Yeah, well, it was literally like you were coming out to visit us, so we're like, let's do the episode then, but, like... You know, you're here on a Saturday, so in order to have that one out ahead of time, which I didn't end up posting anyway, <laughs> so, like, I don't know, it's it's all screwed up, so we're going to have a weird month here, but it's all good. Anyway, Zoe stayed up with us late to watch the movie, um, and Ange and I were talking about it afterwards because um, the film, uh, we saw it on Amazon Prime streaming. Us too, yeah. And uh, as a lot of these streaming services are prone to do, it shows you afterwards 
Um, here's some other movies you might be interested in, given you just watched this one. And right at the top of the list was Field of Dreams, which is one of my like all-time favorites. I love that movie, too. And so I'm like, oh, God, I really want to show Zoe that. And Ange immediately is like, that's such a long movie, though. It's so long. And I'm like, this was a long movie. <laughs> and she's like, I know, but Field of Dreams is longer. And I'm like, really? I got to look at it now. So uh, League of Their Own... I think was 122 minutes. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And Field of Dreams was like 102 minutes. Yeah. So I was like, or like 100 minutes or something like that. It was like 22 minutes shorter. So I'm like, there you go. This one's where... She's like, well, it's still a slower movie. I'm like, that's not possible. (laughs) (laughs) So Field of Dreams is coming up at some point next. I mean, it might show up in our podcast in the next few years here. So we'll see. I'm not sure. I think it was before this. You're right. Yeah, actually, that's like 89 Yeah, yeah. So maybe not. So I'll have to show that to the kid. Otherwise, um, I I think that's probably still my favorite baseball movie outside of like Sandlot or maybe Rookie of the Year. I don't year. know. Angels in the Outfield is pretty good. <laughs> pretty Sandlot is pretty fantastic. I don't know. I, I, yeah, maybe, maybe. But this one's up there. Um, so I, I had a good time watching this again after many many years. Um, and uh, a lot of it still, it, it still just stands on its yeah. on its own. I mean, yeah. it's it's really really. I will a say, movie. like the ensemble cast is very very well constructed, very funny together. I honestly think that this is John Lovitz's funniest role, <laughs> bar none. Like he was so fantastic. Yeah, well. I mean, he's good in in the part that they gave him, like the you know kind of quick talking sort of scout. A lot of his stuff is ad libbed, which is not surprising. Um, I think one of the things that did surprise me, like as far as like who I thought was kind of bigger roles in this movie is um, Madonna as May. She had a much smaller role than I yeah, thought. Yeah, I remembered. thought it was much bigger you than know, that. Particularly like, given her star power like at the time. And like I, I found some fun facts and things to share about the movie tonight. And I'll, I'll kick it off, I guess, with this, that like apparently a lot of people... Um, were really surprised by her casting. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, I, one actor actually left the yeah, movie. De- De- Deborah Winger left. Yes. She was supposed to play the Gina Davis role. She was, yes. So um, she had been cast um, in Gina Davis's role, and she actually left when Madonna was hired, citing that it was like an Elvis movie, which I don't... 100% understand what that's supposed like, to mean. Like cheapen the, the uh, meaning of the movie or like make guess. it less, you know. But then the reality is, like, I hope she was kicking herself after she saw the movie because May plays a very tiny yeah. role in this film. You know, like, just a couple of scenes, really. She's not really one of the more important characters. Um, that said, uh, you know, let's just dive in on the notes. Um, so, film opens um, in what I assume is meant to be the present. Um, it's, that it's, present. Yes. Yeah. Like not our present now, obviously, but um, I'm assuming it's supposed to be taking place around. I think so. You know, the early nineties there, it wasn't very clear on when they were doing this reunion slash opening event at um, the baseball hall of fame. Um, the funny thing is I had put down in my notes that I thought it was really good old age makeup. On Gina Davis, but it's, it's not it's Gina a, Davis. It's a completely <laughs> different actress that they dubbed over her voice. Yeah, so it's a woman called Lynn Cartwright, um, who is an actress and I guess model. But funny enough, when you look her up, it says that her most well-known role is, is playing this, yeah. the older version of, of Gina Davis. But it did throw me off because, as you say, it's dubbed over by Gina Davis. 
So it really threw me for a loop because I was like, dang, they did a really good job. It looked really natural. But no, it is in fact not old age makeup. It's just an old lady. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the opening, I was a little surprised. It was a little slow that the opening of like her kind of like getting out the door and like heading off. And I I remembered that it opened um, with her like in the present. But I sort of thought she was already at the field thing. I forgot her home. I forgot she's with like her daughter and seeing kids and whatever. I I, when when the scene started playing out in the basketball court part of it that I remembered. But I forgot that completely. Yeah. And. It's almost like a throwaway scene. It really is. And it was really pokey. So I was getting a little worried. And, And again, the movie did end up on the longish side, but once it gets going, it gets going. Um, so anyway, it cuts to some black and white newsreel footage, which I thought was kind of a clever way to um, do it. And they end up going back to this a couple times throughout the movie, just sort of like as a way to do sort of montage um, sort of setups, which they have a number of montages. It's a sports film. You can't get away with the montage, I guess. Um, but uh, it was just a little bit of like a fun way to, to kind of, get into, you know, like to take it from the present back into like Mm. the older time. So uh, we open up in 1943 in Willamette, Oregon, um, which they probably could have just started at, to be honest with you, or at least started on the newsreel. Um, And uh, they're playing a game and we're introduced to Kit and Dottie, the sisters who make up the majority, you know, the main kind of characters of this film. Um, And we also sort of get the, the intro to what becomes like their ongoing strife, which is that Kit is kind of just always playing second fiddle to Dottie. Kit strikes out on like this and it plays in again later in the film that she can't hit like these high, you know, fastballs. Meanwhile, Dottie gets up to the plate. She hits a home run. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the two of them play on uh, what was on their Jersey. as says the Luxa dairy team. Yes. Um, Now I'm assuming that's the dairy that they actually work at. I assume so, yeah. Yeah. I, they, they, it was, like, again, a throwaway sort of nod. I think it was a reference to probably something in real life, and we just don't, they don't play it out in the story. Yeah, so. I was just curious because, like, I was trying to put two and two together that, you know, like, this is before, like, this league is actually started. So I guess they're just playing, like, just local softball yeah. sort of thing. Um, and that their, their dairy that they work at um, has this team. Um, so we see John Lovitz in the crowd, um, and he is a scout named Ernie Cappadino, Um, and uh, he visits their farm as they're milking cows after the fact and is basically trying to get Dottie to come join the team. He's not really interested in Kit, um, but he has like a lot of great dialogue. Like, as you sort of said, like it's kind of a fun role for him. He sort of is like... Bang zoom in and out of this yes. movie. Like he's gone in fifteen minutes, but it's yeah. like, and he maybe has you know four or five scenes in the whole movie, and he's very funny. I, I'm going to get back into that a little bit later <laughs> because I have a thought on that too. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but he has just like a number of like these like little like one liner like John Lovitz acting, you know, um, <laughs> sort of lines that he's coming out with. Um, and, uh, you know, they're milking their cows and he's he says that um, I can't think of the guy's first name, but uh, everybody keeps calling him Mr. Harvey, um, who makes candy bars, is starting a league. Now, it's probably worth pointing out that um, Harvey doesn't exist in right. real life. And again, this movie's based on true events, but it's not 100 percent true events. I think some things they had to they kept and I think some things they had to fudge just for legality. Um, exactly. Yeah. So um, instead, who actually started this is Wrigley of Wrigley's Chewing Gum. 
So they just kind of did like a likewise trade and also Wrigley Field. It's funny you say that because when they first did the tryouts, they open on Wrigley Field in Chicago. Yes, yeah, and I think they changed the name to something else. Yeah, they they called it Harvey Field. Yes, there you go. So there must have just been some legal thing with Wrigley and they couldn't get the rights to do that. But it's in real life, it was based off of him. Um, and we meet Harvey later, but, um, I wasn't putting two and two together at first that that's played by Gary Marshall or, or, or uh, who's Penny's brother. brother. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of family in this movie, uh, which I sort of found, um, surprising. It's kind of like, uh, like a who's who of who in the, uh, Marshall family. Uh, so first of all, um, Tracy Reiner, who's Penny and Rob Reiner's daughter, uh, got cast in the film as Betty Spaghetti. Um, is she really? Yeah. So, uh, so, and it, she wasn't even going to try out for this. Like, she wasn't really like into acting or whatever. But she's like, you know what? Let's just go out for it. Um, and I think uh, she actually in an interview said that over two thousand women auditioned uh, for the film, and it was apparently like a who's who in Hollywood at the time of people trying to get into this movie because they just saw it, you know, as it was like a really good um, all women cast, women's empowerment yeah. movie, and so a lot of people were really trying to, to get in it. So um, she's in it. And then also um, one of the other actresses. Let me just find Taylor Leone's in it. Is she related to them? No, I don't know if she's related to them, but she used to be married to David Duchovny. And she has like zero speaking lines, but she's in the movie. And I noticed her very, very vividly several times. I got to say, I sometimes hate the new IMDb because it's like it's sometimes hard to like find things on the page. Yeah. Where the, oh, it's off here on the side. Okay, so um, Kathleen Marshall plays Mumbles Brockman, um, and that's Gary Marshall's daughter, Penny Marshall's niece. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so um, again, just kind of like a, a little bit of like a who's who in the family kind of. Um, pretty funny. In the movie here, which I thought was, was sort of a funny thing. Um, I digress. Anyway, uh, he says that they'll get paid um, $75 a week, which is more than the $30 they're getting paid at the dairy. We find out that Dottie is married. Her husband, Bob, is off in the war. Kit is normally a pitcher. Um, Like, he wasn't really interested in seeing her play, um, but she was, like, having an off day, like she pitched the previous day, so she wasn't pitching that day. So Dottie's, like, really trying to convince him um, that they should bring Kit along, but he's not really terribly interested conversely like Dottie kind of wants to like stay home. She's not really interested herself. Kit wants to get out in the world. She doesn't like their small town, Um, but they end up working it all out and they go chasing the train the next day. Um, I have a funny thought about this. Yeah. 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 So all throughout the story, there's this thread or this through line that, that Dottie doesn't want to necessarily be there, but yet she does like, she loves playing baseball and like she says she doesn't want to go and pursue this career. And it almost is like, it's a good reflection of that time period where like, she's a wife, she's going to stay home, wait for her husband to come back. It was very accurate of that era. But like, I didn't always believe Gina Davis when she was saying that she didn't want to do it. I didn't get that impression. Like, she literally was like, I'm going to stay home. I want to it's stay a, home. Yeah, for sure. It's a character that's really torn. Um, and you see this particularly as we get in towards the end of the film and some of the choices that she makes at that point. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's basically she's trying to be the good housewife, that she's waiting home for her husband to come back from the war. 
and that she shouldn't be out there doing this sort of thing. Whereas her younger, more brash sister is like, oh, you know, this is definitely something we should be doing. And so, you know, like, I, I don't know that they ever 100 percent sold why Dottie ended up going. If it was just because the money was good, mm-hmm. if she was supporting her sister to get there. Like, I, think it, I think it was to give her sister an opportunity. She's, yeah, because she says later on in the movie. I didn't get you in the league. I got you into on the train. On, yeah, the, on train. the train, yeah. Yeah. Um, which brings us back to the train. So, uh, the John Lovitz, you know, that meets them on the train. They have to run to catch it. Um, and they have to stop in Fort Collins to check on another girl. So, um, this next girl that we meet uh, is Marla. And um, he has no interest in her whatsoever. Um, and Marla's kind of a funny well, that's, story. That, that's not totally accurate. He's interested in her when he sees her hit, and she's, you know, a switch hitter. She's cracking home runs off of men. But, like, when he sees her, she's not the most pretty girl, and he's automatically turned off, and then Dottie and Kim... Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, he was about to walk out the door, and they're like, no, 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 no. Like, she's really good. We need to bring her along, and they ultimately decide to. Um, but, like, she has, like, a funny story, and I, I'm curious, like, what the reasoning was. You know, this is, again, one where I didn't really find any extra information if this was a real-life person as well. Oh, yeah. Or if this was just something that they wrote in. It's It doesn't... It's a very strange thing. I, I thought so, too. Because one of the things they say in the beginning of, like, the tryouts and everything is there'll be, like, six or... F- five or six teams, some of that, of 14 girls each. And Marla... Four teams of 16. <laughs> I thought it was four teams. Four, four teams of 16. Oh, okay. Later on, there becomes 12 teams, but um, the but first season is four of, of oh, 16. Okay. Yeah. So Marla's character, like, you know, she, she goes from, you know, it's like kind of like an ugly duckling to a beautiful swan kind of a story arc. She, they go out to a bar one night. She gets dressed up. She's singing on a bar, and she falls in love with a guy who falls in love with her. And then midway through the season, she just leaves and gets married and is gone for the rest of the season. And it's almost like her she didn't have her triumphant like show that how great I am at baseball thing. We never see her hit a home run. We never see her do anything. Yeah, it field. is funny. I mean, she serves as like a little bit of like comic relief for like, all right, like all these like beautiful women, like you gotta have like this like one kind of toady one. And what's funny about it is when we're introduced to her, we meet her with her father. Her father's the one that's really trying to sell her on going off and joining yeah. and doing this thing, which again is another unusual take for this time. You know what I mean? But he sort of says, he's like, you know, like my wife died. I raised her. I kind of raised her as a boy. The funny thing is Marla doesn't really read as a boy. She just sort of reads as like a really like weird, just like, like, a, just kind of like a weird froggy person. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like not, she doesn't necessarily like, you know, like Rosie O'Donnell comes off like kind of like, hey, you know, you know, you know like real tough like, guy, like, like whatever. tomboyish. Yes. Yeah, it is. Marla doesn't really come off that way. She just comes off as like an introverted kind of strange kind of, yeah, yeah. person. Um, and then, as you say, she goes off and then we ultimately see her in the payoff, like at the very end of the film or whatever. Um, but we we don't get to see her really be like this like shining star right, like, necessarily. Like they, they, they touted her as being like Babe Ruth of the women's league. And we never even see her really hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dottie really is the the best and the main player on the team. It is interesting pointing out that she's based on a real-life person. The name is slightly different. She does go by Dottie. Um, but 
the real life uh, person was not a catcher. She was a first baseman. Mm. Um, uh, I can't find her actual exact name, so I apologize. But um, again, just thought that was um, an interesting parallel. But she was also known as like the best Women's player game. in the league. Yeah. So like that's why they based this character on her. Um, which again is interesting if it's true that the woman in real life was also like in this scenario where her husband was at war and she was reluctant to go and whatever, but I didn't find a lot of extra information on her. We got to go back and watch the actual documentary, a league of their own that this movie was based off. I'm also excited to see the, uh, Amazon prime, like eight episode miniseries is coming out in a couple weeks. It also turns out that there was another, um, TV series that they broke right out of this movie, and they actually had several of the actors jumped right over to it in 1993, A League of Their Own. Lasted only one season. I had no clue I about never that. knew that that I existed. only found that when I was going through and finding kind of interesting facts and stuff about it, but um, I think uh, Lowell Gans wrote that as well, and like several of like the production crew and, and actors, actresses Just stayed on and jumped right over and, and, and joined that. Um, not some of the main people, like Gina Davis. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's also an interesting moment to talk a little bit about Gina Davis. So you mentioned already, um, that she had, um, somebody else that was going to be playing her role. Deborah Winger. Deborah yeah. Winger, which I thought was, um, kind of an interesting choice and it, it would not have been as good in I don't my opinion, so um, with her in it. But, um, Deborah Winger wasn't even the original choice for this character. It feels like it would be like a Susan Sarandon or like a... What's her name from Alien? Uh, Gorney Weaver. Kind well, of. I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you. The original was Moira Kelly, um, who uh, I guess the mention here is that people know her mostly from One Tree Hill, but you would know her from The Cutting Edge. <laughs> uh, and, and specifically, edge. she <laughs> she wasn't able to take this role because she broke her foot during the during production the cutting of Cutting edge. edge. That's funny. So yeah, she um, again she, she. But the thing with her is, like Gina Davis was tall, man. Like when she was on the field, especially as a catcher or even at bat, she was menacing. Like she just looked like she was just a power hitter and like a power <laughs> player. And 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 Moira Kelly's a little bit shorter in stature. That she wouldn't seem the right, especially in comparison to her and and Lori Petty. And Lori Petty's so short in comparison, yes. it, 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 would, it would look weird. Now, interestingly enough, Penny Marshall's very, very first choice, who never even made it to the tryouts, was Demi Moore. Okay, and I can see that. There's a great quote from Penny that I'm going to read <laughs> um, as to why Demi Moore was not able to play. She had gotten pregnant at the time. So... By Penny's reckoning, by the time we came around to start work on the film, she was pregnant. So Bruce Willis literally screwed her out of the part. <laughs> <laughs> Penny Marshall, ladies and gentlemen. That's pretty, that is fantastic. That's yes. Um, so again, I just thought that was kind of funny that there was like sort of several different um, other people uh, in there. Um, on another casting note, the part of um, Jim Dugan, who ultimately we get um, being played by Tom Hanks, was originally going to be Jim Belushi. And I don't think it would have been no, nearly as good. I, Jim, I mean, so. like, I could see him yeah. in that role, but it would not have been half as good as, as it was with but Tom Hanks. Truthfully, Tom Hanks' role is not that significant in the movie. I mean, he, he doesn't really show up until well into the second act, and he doesn't have a lot going on until much later on in the, in the film, yes. which I thought was interesting, too. 
But every scene that he's in, he steals. Absolutely. Um, so back in the movie present, Ernie drops them off at the field and they have to do this giant tryout where they're get, trying yeah. to get down to that like four sets of 16 players out of. They list how many people were there that day, but it's quite a lot of people trying out. Um, and they meet some of the other players. So they meet Doris and May, who's Rosie O'Donnell and um, Madonna's characters. Um, and there's some like on field shenanigans. They think that they're not worth <laughs> anything. They throw the ball. There's a lot of people throwing balls and things at other people in this yeah, movie. So a lot of concussions to, to be had from baseballs being thrown at each other. Yeah, and Gina Davis just like bare hand catches it. So one of the interesting things about this tryout scene in the movie in general, anybody who is in this movie, to my understanding, maybe there's some exceptions like Madonna or whatever, but anybody else, any of the other actresses had to go and do a tryout and they had to be capable of playing baseball to get cast in this movie. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so Gina Davis is the only one sight unseen who was allowed to be in this, like, otherwise. And basically, she learned baseball, like, lickety-split. Really? Yeah, they basically put her in a training regimen um, and, and she picked it all up and actually became, funny enough, the best player among all the women that were acting in the movie no very kidding. quickly. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, um, and she ended up doing quite a lot of her own stunts, like some of the splits behind the back catches. She did those things herself. Uh, there's only one exception. Uh, when she does the sliding split, they had to have a stunt double do the slide part because she couldn't do the slide. But yeah. otherwise, she did... I don't think anybody could do that She slide. did the other <laughs> portions of the splits and things like that, so kind of cool. Um, so they cut to a... Um, news feed, which I thought was interesting. They sort of have this like woman on the radio who is giving this like um, sort of talking down talk, like like anti woman. Like, well, she calls it the masculinization of women, and she's basically talking about like how they're like dragging these women out and like trying to turn them into men and like all this sort of thing. And it was like it was just an interesting, it's a very interesting dichotomy to even what we're dealing with today in the world of like perceptions of things. I don't know it. it it's that particular commercial struck a chord with me because it, it felt very parallel to, to a lot of things we've seen in, in the women's rights movement, especially over the last, you know, decade, let's say. Which is yeah. Now, one of the things that, and this is probably sexist on my part, but I think it's just because I didn't realize because of the timing and, and things like that at that point, they're actually like really good players. Like, yeah. and, they, and they portray these people like, they're showing up for these tryouts. They're not just like people that are like, oh, my husband's off of the war. I'll see if I can do something. Like they're all really good baseball players. And it was like really like a, a pretty cool sequence of them trying out. The one thing that they, they literally glazed over in like a panning shot is they're working with the pitchers. These pitchers were all softball pitchers throwing underhand. They had to learn how to throw a pitch overhand. And they don't even really talk about that in the movie. You just see it once when, when one of the coaches is like, no, overhand. <laughs> and they have to relearn how to pitch that way. And that's a big deal. That's that's hard to, for, for a pitcher that's done one thing their whole career, and now they got to throw it a different way. You, you tell a football player, hey, you're going to be left tackle this season and you've played right tackle your whole career, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's going to take them a year to learn how to do that. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing, too, because I guess they're doing that as part of the league rules that it has to be overhand pitching. The reality is, like, I've seen people throw, like, windmill softball pitches that are damn fast pitches. It's like they probably could have just stuck with that and it would have been fine, you know? But they wanted it to feel like baseball. Yeah. Um... 
So uh, the team that they ultimately all get paired up on becomes the Rockford Peaches, which is a real team. It is, in fact, one of the original four teams. And it's the um, I'm not sure it's the only, but it's one of the only teams that stuck through the entire 12 years that they had this this women's league. Um, So that was there the whole way through. So that was pretty cool. Um, Now, uh, we're introduced to another character, Shirley Baker. Who, again, like, I, it's so hard at times in this movie to figure out who's going to have larger roles, who's going to have smaller roles. Um, and the coach, um, who, funny enough, we were talking last time about Stargate SG-1. He's, I can't think of the actor's name, but he's the general off um, yes. Stargate SG-1. Um, so again, there you're six degrees of separation here. <laughs> um, but uh, he plays the coach of Racine, Racine team. Um and uh, he's kind of giving everybody sort of like a like a talking and he sees her still over at like the try at the board where their names were. And she's really fretting and upset. And he's like, if, look, if you didn't make the team, you got to go. I'm sorry, whatever. But we find out that she can't read. So I think May or somebody helps uh, yeah, goes over and, and helps well, her. Yeah, well, I think Betty Spaghetti goes and helps her. But later on, you see May teaching how to read, like, yeah. Danielle Steele novels. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know necessarily Danielle Steele, but... Some pre-Daniel Steele sort, sort of, of novel. Pre-Daniel Steele smut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, again, like they kind of introduce characters like that and like Marla, who like ultimately play, and we see them in other scenes playing, but, but like, they don't they have never, line in the whole movie. Yeah, they don't really ever come to like that sort of life. And we get, like, like you say, later scenes where they're teaching her to read, and we can see that camaraderie. But it's interesting because you just, like, as an ensemble cast... Sometimes it fails in this movie because yeah. we don't really get to see some of these characters who they really are, or what their you know true motivations or ultimate sort of things are. We just get these very little glimpses at them, just kind of like fill in gaps. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so it's the All American Girls Baseball League, and it's quite an acronym. It's that a they, very <laughs> long acronym. Yeah, it's like a six letter acronym that they end up um, with for the thing, and uh, they get introduced to their uniforms, which some like girl comes like prancing out and modeling, and immediately they all just like, nope, not playing in that. Like, you know, you're gonna how are we gonna slide in that? Everything like like really reasonable questions. Um, and I forget if it's Ira um, or who at the beginning is basically like, if you don't play in this, you won't be playing with yeah, us. It's Ira, yeah. Um, which is interesting because Ira takes kind of a turn as as things go on and kind of becomes like a real like, champion for the yeah. for the league, um, which is interesting. Well, we'll get a little further along. I'm going to talk about that in the parallel in real life. Um, and they also get informed that they're also going to be sent to Charm and Beauty School. Um, which is true. Um, in real life, they were in fact sent to um, Charm and Beauty School, not the same named one in the movie. Um, I've forgotten the name, but I read it earlier, <laughs> like some other, and they had to do all the same sort of stuff uh, with that, which was I thought very interesting. So here we're finally meeting Tom Hanks. All right, so this is where he it's, pops it's up in the been film. A while, yeah. yeah, it's at least a good half hour, forty minutes into the movie. Um, and he's meeting um, Mr. Harvey. Mr. Harvey or Henry, whatever, and um, he's offering him the manager job. So we find out that Jimmy used to be like an excellent player, um, but he's also a really bad drunk. And so um, we kind of find out more of him over time that he kind of like screwed up the end of his career uh, by just being like a knockdown drunk. Is um, he based off of somebody for real? I didn't look. OK, so I tried looking this up um, and. I found just like a little note on it that basically says that Jimmy Dugan's not real. 
but he's loosely based on real life baseball pro Jimmy Fox, who unfortunately for me is also not like a really recognizable baseball name. There might be other folks out there that are like, what are you talking about? But um, apparently he was um, like a real life uh, player or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, they want to basically have him come and be a part of it. And they, they feel like, um, that the women's teams aren't going to be a draw and that they kind of need like a gimmick to get the, the games going off the ground. So he's a, a very popular ex-player. A lot of people would recognize him. So they want him to coach as a draw for the fans. And he's kind of like mocking them about it. Like he's like, oh, what are I going to go out there and like do a dance or whatever on the field sort of thing? Um, so he's he's like he's going to do it for the job, but he's kind of not interested. He'd rather be, you know, coaching AAA. Um, so, uh, we get him meeting the team. He comes in through the locker room, completely drunk, <laughs> walks and belligerent them, and, and, uh, goes over and just starts peeing, which like all the women are just like, oh my God, like sort of thing. But what's bizarre about it is Madonna's character of May is like, like captivated by it. He's sort of like getting closer <laughs> and closer to the bathroom to watch him pee. And you're like... What is going on here? So here's some pee scene fun facts oh for you. Oh, God, here we go. The pee lasts 53 seconds. Almost as long as Austin Powers. I, that's what I'm curious. I really want to know if it's if Austin Powers is longer, evacuation complete, or, or if this is longer. And supposedly even Tom Hanks didn't know how long this was going to last. Penny Marshall was sitting on the floor below him with a hose and a metal can and was spraying water into the metal can, and it was only her that decided the length of this thing. So that 53 seconds is entirely on her and her sense of humor. Uh, but it goes on a really, really long time. And it was funny because, like I said, Zoe's watching this movie with us. <laughs> so Zoe is nine, and there's some questionable things that pop up in this movie. A few you know, times, well, yes. Um, I think my the, favorite... The tickle line I didn't have jokes. to explain that. I had to explain the man peeing standing up, and I had to explain what is the clap <laughs> later on in the film. <laughs> oh, and no. when the two little kids come get their ball signed, so I had to, I had to really gloss <laughs> over beware what is it? Mean, what does it mean, boy? <laughs> so, um, oh yes. So I, we get kind of a lousy intro to him because one of the the women comes over and says, "My husband's a huge fan." Would you sign this card? Tears up his baseball card. So, like, you know, it's just like, oh boy, he's just you know just a jerk, and it's kind of a, a shame. Um, obviously, he has a bit of more of a redeeming arc as time goes on. But um, we cut to um, their first game, um, and. Basically, by and large, the stands are mostly empty. People are really laughing at them, sort of making fun of them. Uh, we get this one guy who's like a real jerk who's like standing on their dugout and just like dancing around and really making fun of him. And uh, they peg him with the ball, which I thought was actually um, very funny. It really made me um, laugh out loud unexpectedly. But um, what's interesting is they kind of get into this in this early portion of it, that they have... Uh, they keep showing that the stands are really empty, nobody's interested, and it's not until they start kind of doing these, like, sexy female gimmicks that they start kind of picking up steam. And Gina Davis or, or, you know, Dottie uh, split catch gets, you know, photographed by Time the press. magazine and yeah. things like that. But they start, like, you know, they start making it out like May is flirting with, like, the, you know, the Navy guys in the crowd, and, like, there's all these things like that. In real life, that wasn't the case. Like, this was actually very popular right from the start. Really? Yeah, and basically they said that a lot of these games were sort of played, like, in, like, the kind of, like, Middle Eastern sort of states. 
and people were missing baseball and they didn't have televised baseball and they went out for the games. Yeah. So like this sort of whole thing of like, oh, the league is going to fail because nobody's coming. It just it's just for the movie. Like it was actually very, very popular, mm. very successful in real life. People really came out for the games right off the bat. So I thought that was one kind of interesting change from history and, and an interesting sort of thought that they they had to give it they an could get away with that, it yeah, with with the movie. So um, I gotta say, this is a very comfortable couch, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. So as a, as a little like blip off of our show here, because the kids are trying to sleep upstairs, we were gonna do this in my office. We moved down to the basement. We've got this like leather couch down here that was left by the folks that. Quite sold us our house and it, it is it's like a super duper comfy couch <laughs> so we're just chilling down here in the basement is it, yeah, but what was your what was your line before we started recording like uh, <laughs> box office 30 brought to you from the basement or something, <laughs> yeah, something like that <laughs> um so anyway um the first game kind of comes and goes and dugan has basically been asleep in the dugout the whole time and I forget if it's Ira or somebody comes over and they're like, oh, Dugan, you did so good. This was great. This was wonderful. And, uh, you know, like, it, it, it wasn't on him at all. Yeah. G- I actually, Gina Davis is doing all the lineups. She's doing yeah, all the coaching. She, she basically did everything. And then I, I forget who it is. If it's the same game or the next game, because I kind of start skipping around in my notes here a little bit, comes over to him and then they're like, oh, you scratched your balls for an hour. <laughs> that was Ira. Then. And he, he's like, if, it's, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so good. Yeah, I love Tom Hanks had some of the best out and out lines, which is funny because again, like for like an all female cast by and large, and then Tom Hanks, he has some of the most killer lines in this thing. I mean, Dottie has some really good ones too, but like, yeah, there's some really really funny stuff that comes out of but, him. You know, similarly, like I thought I remembered Rosie O'Donnell's character have a, having a bigger, more comedic role, and she's not in it all that much. I mean, she's got a handful of quick little one-liners, mostly at Tom Hanks' character, but she, by and large, is not a main focus. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of like the loudmouth of the team. Um, You know, she's portrayed as being from Staten Island, so she's got the, like, heavy New York accent, and she's friends with May. They're both from Staten Island. Um, But it is is kind of funny that, like, I think I even said it, like, last um, episode when I, I was mentioning her, that again, like I'm not the biggest Rosie O'Donnell fan in general in movies and things that I've seen her in, but I thought she was really good in this role, yeah. and, and that still stands for this. Yeah. But you're right, another one where I was like, I kind of thought she had more to do, but it really like she kind of has a lot more to do off the field yeah. in this movie than she does on the field. We don't always see her playing a lot. I mean, although she's actually very supportive of the fellow players on the field, so I don't know. She's she's kind of like the loud mouth of the team. <laughs> Um, so we get into another one of these black and white newsreels that's sort of explaining where things are going, and it's kind of a clever way to keep moving the the you know the story forward because they're trying to condense an entire season you know down pretty quick. And they and they, like we said, the movie was two hours long, so yeah. <laughs> they had to fill some gaps somehow. Yeah, but I think it was a clever way to kind of get through some of the season and things like that. And I, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to do some montage, it's like a fun way to do it, particularly given the timing and and you know the historical context of how they used to do those newsreels. Um, so I think it's Betty that asks if she can bring her son along. No, it's Still not Betty. Will. It's, uh, it's, um... It's the uh, one with the blonde hair. What's her face? Alice. Alice. Um, and, uh, at first I couldn't catch his name, but I, I knew it from later on. Stillwell, Stillwell Angel. 
Yeah, and oh my god, he's terrible. Like, yes. <laughs> we get, like, this first intro to him, like, on the bus. He's in, like, a little sailor outfit. He's just, like, terrorizing everybody on the bus. The women literally want to kill him. Like, one of them grabs a bat and is, like, chasing after him. Um, the bus driver quits because he's just, like... I forget what he does. He like he, runs up and like like hit, like he, he covers his ha- his eyes his eyes as he's driving. Yeah. <laughs> the bus driver just like pulls the bus over and just walks away in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, um, and uh, so it was just kind of like a weird scene. They get Tom Hanks ultimately to drive, which is shocking because he's, he's just loaded. completely sloshed again. <laughs> yeah, um, and then they like had this really weird abrupt cut, and I almost wondered if there was like a cut scene in the middle here because the very next thing that we see is the woman who's basically, like, their chaperone or matron is just, like, barfing her guts up at a hotel, and they're all sneaking out. So, what they said on the bus was that they, that May is gonna poison her food so that they can, they can sneak out. They must have cut out the entire dinner scene where I guess, she does yeah. that, and we just cut to, boom, she's barfing. It just, it just surprised me, because it was, like... Tom Hanks starts to drive the bus, and then literally the next thing is them sneaking out as this woman's just retching and the doctor's yeah. like there and everything. So I was just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> um, so they go out to this this club, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, it's the Suds Bucket or something yeah, like that. <laughs> and they have this like incredibly elaborate dance scene. I think it was just because Madonna's in the movie. Let's give Madonna something to do. We're gonna and it is, and they, they sort of like preface it by like saying like, oh, well, like, you know, May um, used to be like, I used, like she used to, she used to bartend and then May used to be a dancer, dancer. at a club. Yeah. But like, this meanwhile, like she's like, dancing. This well, is not it's like, like, exotic it's, like it's full on swing dancing. Like yeah. she's like pairing up with two random, like stranger guys and like completely choreographed dance. It felt really kind of out of place. Yeah. And, like be, and it goes on very long. Like it'd be like far one thing if like May was doing some like, you know, big show off dance or something, but it was like, it was really surprising that these people could dance quite so well, but whatever. I digress. Um, but it's kind of like a weird, funny scene because we have that. We meet those twins that keep following around um, Rosie, O'Donnell's, Rosie character. O'Donnell's character. Then through the rest of the film, we meet Nelson who ultimately ends up with Marla we get Marla doing her, like, you know, like, lounge singing yeah. thing out of nowhere. Um, and, like, they all of a sudden, like, realize that they got to get out of there because somebody, I forget who it is, but somebody's going to come. I think Ira's coming. And if they find them there, they're all kicked out of the league. And it's like, all right, maybe you could have skipped going and doing that in the first place. Um, you know, in any of these sports movies, like, look at... Uh when we did Necessary Roughness, they're all in that bar, yeah. and they get arrested, and whatever. It's, it's, it's true, it's it, a trope. They, they always use the bar trope as like I mean, a, even in Encino Man, they, they run off to the bar. Yeah, it's like, how do you get these people to become friends, and, and, and fun-loving, and yeah. And all that kind of, they, they do that bar trope all the time. That's true, fair enough. Um... So it cuts to a scene um, in a church, uh, <laughs> specifically at a confessional with a priest, and like... <laughs> And, like, May's character comes out, and the priest comes out, and he's, like, looking at her, and he's, like, all sweaty. <laughs> it's just, like, it's, like, what was going on in there? Holy cow, you know? Um, what What's May's character? She, uh, she has some funny kind of name. All the way May. All the way May. <laughs> Which I learned, I found this out, there is an all the way May, but it was actually all the way Faye in, the, in real Interesting. life. Interesting. All right. My mother-in-law was doing some deep Googling while we were watching it. Together. Nice. All right. So, so I'm going to get her to help She was helping me. And she's like, time. I can do this whole podcast for you. I'm like, <laughs> have at it. It was pretty cool. 
Um, so we cut to a scene with Tom Hanks um, sort of taking batting practice. Now, what I, this really kind of caught me off guard. He's actually getting balls pitched to him by a pitching machine. Yeah. Did that now, exist back then? I guess so. Because, But it's a really neat old pitching machine. Yeah, it was cool. Specifically, my note in my notes is about that pitching machine. I had no clue that they had invented something like that at that point at in that time. Point, yeah. And it's a really kind of neat machine. It's not like, like the ones that we're used to these days with like the reciprocal the wheels f- that... F- yeah. It's like a, like almost like a... Sp- a spatula. It's, it's like a spring-loaded arm that yeah. keeps like whipping around. Yeah, but it was pretty darn cool. So I thought that was and again, like kind of just like a, they have like a lot of these little vignette scenes yeah. to just kind of give you a little more insight to or, each or of like the characters, depth to the characters, stuff like that. Not yeah. really important to the movie, but just kind of neat stuff. Yeah, and I and I really appreciate that they did a good job of really capturing the period feel and look of a lot of this stuff. I agree. All right, so we keep moving ahead. Uh, we get another scene with Marla. We get a, a scene where they're trying to teach the woman to read on the bus. Um, and finally, we get to probably what's the most well-known and most remembered scene of this movie, which is where um, Alice uh, comes back and Jimmy is yelling at her about kind of her shortcomings. And she starts to tear up and he's like, what are you doing? There's no there's no crying in baseball. And he goes off and like this. And he's like, like yelling at the ref. He's like, but, but look, ref, she's crying. Well, There's well, no crying It's here. great, but he's, and it's so funny because, like, I thought he only said it one time, but he keeps repeating it, and he's, like, trying to tell, like, a whole story, like, about, like, somebody who's like, there was no crying then. There's no crying now. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and it's great because, basically, they sort of said, like, this was in the script, and they knew it was funny, but it wasn't until Tom Hanks, like, really, like, like just opened it up. into it and that it became, like, what it did. Uh, and this made number 54 on AFI's all-time... Uh, best movie quotes list, which I really? thought was was interesting. Um, so that was very funny. But as you say, then the you know the ref comes over, and it was funny because or the ump, I should say, not ref. Uh, the ump comes over, and he's he's sort of like you know like, like, like take it easy on her. Like, like, you gotta be nice to these ladies. And, 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 <laughs> he's like, but ref, he's she's crying. Yeah, <laughs> and he he says, what did it say? he says, has anyone ever told you you look like a penis with a hat on, <laughs> or a little penis with a hat on? <laughs> and then he's like, all right, you're out of here, <laughs> and he gets kicked out, and he says, I can't believe no one's ever told you that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great scene. So, so the best is that they have this scene in the movie, which Zoe also reacts oh, to. And I really boy. gotta have her start like pairing up with me on some of these movies because her reactions were very priceless. She's like, does that mean Tom Hanks is out of the movie now? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, he's still in the movie. Don't worry. Um, so anyway, this is then where that reporter and the photographer from Life magazine show up. So they're p- trying to get more interest in in the league because there it's still very few people in the stands, things like that. Now, fun fact about all the people in the stands, all these extras, they get to watch all these various games. These were all just, Penny Marshall's family? No, I wish. No, <laughs> these were just all people that lived nearby. Oh, that's cool. Um, they basically just had, like, locals in the area. They would put these call-outs, like, we're filming tonight. Come out and watch the baseball game. Come out and watch the movie. And they dressed them as they showed up in period garb <laughs> and let them come sit in the stands. That's and cool. it, what was funny is not only the period-accurate um, uniforms for the team the stands. were made out of wool. Oh, God. And then the people sitting in the stands, and they said regularly, this was filmed largely in Indianapolis, I think I read, and regularly during some of those days, it would get up to 106 degrees. Oh, my God. 
wow. So these people were roasting in the in the in the stands, but they were loving it to be part of the movie and be able to sit there and watch it's, the. It's the a thing. cool. Exp- I, I can imagine that being a cool experience to be like, like seeing this old style field, all the movie equipment. Uh, it must have been really neat. To see. Yes. So Ira um, says that the the photographer and and the um, reporter from Life Magazine, they're going to do a story specifically about Dottie, and they're calling her the Queen of Diamonds. Um, And, you know, they're talking about that they're not doing well financially, and they're talking about closing down the league. Uh, Mr. Henry's there. He's like, all the other owners want to get, you know, finish this. Um, And Ira's like all of a sudden becoming like a real like proponent for trying to keep the whole thing going. So we get that that split catch um, with Dottie catching the ball. The photographer's right there and on it. And I was so excited because, again, another like a World War II perfect replica accurate sort of thing. They're using Graflex speed graphic cameras, which is like my camera. That's dork. But it's my camera nerd. It's my (laughs) camera that I love to collect. Like that's the bulk of my camera collection. I love, love, love this camera. And I love when it shows up in these movies. It's like the camera that photographed Iwo Jima. It's the camera that photographed World War II. And it's an appropriate press camera. So the fact he's using it, and they use it several times during this movie, I was like, yes, exactly. That's that's, that's the one. So it's fun seeing it there. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) I'll I'll take that. (laughs) So, um, but he's right there. That photographer's on his game, and he catches this perfect shot of her doing the splits to to catch the ball. Um, So that leads right into this, um, uh, like, kind of playing montage and them selling the league. Um, we get in the middle of that, that great scene where Tom Hanks pulls them out of the church, which is another just fabulous. He's like, come on, God knows, you know, like, come this stuff doesn't matter anyway. He turns God around. God knows we have a baseball game. Too. He like, turns around, does like that cross and like points. It is so great. It's so perfect. I love it. Um, and, uh, we get the, um, baseball wedding for Marla. They're all holding the bats mm-hmm. as she's coming down the steps. And as you say, this is like, she kind of just like in the middle of a montage sort of exits the movie. Um, she gets in the car and, and gets married and heads out um, with Nelson. And we kind of don't really see her again then. Um, and they sort of just have this very like extended montage of them playing, getting through some of the games uh, and things seem to be getting better. The crowds are more full now, you know, the life stories come out um, and things seem to be getting better. So um, now we're talking about um, Dottie's husband, Bob, in the war. Um, and uh, she's sort of having this conversation with Dugan about, like, why isn't he, you know, out there or whatever. And so he, he sort of says he has, like, no cartilage, so he can't fight. He wasn't sent off for it. Um, and we just get, like, it's kind of like a nice scene because it's finally, like, where the two of them are, like, getting along better. We start to see, like, the better side of Tom Hanks coming out. But here's the funny thing about this. Like, the chemistry between Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, I felt, was better than the chemistry with Gina Davis and Bill Pullman later, that it almost was like, gave this vibe of a will-they-won't-they with Tom Hanks's character and Gina Davis's character in the movie. Yeah, I mean, she, and I mean, actually, I mean, she's clearly loyal to her husband, Yeah, but there's still, like, there's elements of, like, this from the pure movie going perspective, you're always like, Oh, are the two leading people going to, you know, get together in some capacity or another. But I don't think it was important for this movie. And they, they kind of just didn't really get into that, which I thought was, was good. I think they kind of came up with a mutual respect for each other, you know? Um, and so in part of this conversation, um, he's sort of talking about her, you know, in the next season, she's like, I'm not coming back next season. When Bob comes back from the war, I'm, I'm going back home. 
Um, so it's just kind of like an interesting lead into like where her mindset's going mm-hmm. ultimately before the end of the movie. Uh, so the next game, um, Kit isn't doing well. She's really struggling. Um, and Dugan heads to the plate to talk to her. He ends up pulling her. And he she's. Pull, he pulls her because <clears throat> Dottie suggests that she's done. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, like, Kit is really upset. And this sort of really starts to drive a wedge between the two sisters, which ultimately becomes kind of the rest of the majority of the plot for the rest of the film, which is um, coming ahead. And meanwhile, it cuts up into the stands. Um, and Mr. Henry and Ira are talking. And Mr. Henry's like, you know what? We're winning the war. We won't need the girls next year. We're going back to men's baseball. We're going to wrap this up. All the other owners of the teams are are finished um, and sort of thing. And Ira um, is sort of like really making a like a like a push for it. Like he's like, you know, like, how can we sell them short like this? Like they're doing so great. Like the crowds love this and everything. And we get this lead into the fact that Ira ultimately takes on running the, the league for the yeah. rest of the time and, and actually ends up doing so. Um, until the league uh, historically ends at the end of it all. So it's kind of a cool thing. Uh, Ira Lowenstein. Um, again, I'm not sure if Ira Lowenstein is the person in real life, um, or I, or I, I, didn't, I, I didn't catch if, if that was him, but I'm assuming that he has a likewise counterpart, if not by that name, in, in real life. Um, so Rockford uh, makes the playoffs, which is maybe not surprising, given again that there's only four teams. <laughs> and the movie revolves around this team. Yes. Um, and so they're going to be playing Racine, um, I guess, in the, in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, but if there's four teams, what's their I don't know. I was a little questioning that myself. <laughs> but because you never actually see any of the actual playoff games. We just jump to the World Series, basically. Essentially, yeah. Um, so we get Kit and, um, Dottie, uh, are in a, or, well, I, Kit and Dottie are kind of like upset with each other a little bit because Kit, I think, has this idea that Dottie sort of sold her out or didn't at least back her up in, in staying in, in the game. Uh, and Doris sort of, sort of like opens a mouth on her, um, and they end up kind of getting in like a bit of a knockdown drag out in the field, uh, which some of the people in the stands are then kind of jeering at and, and sort of things like that. Um, so, uh, this leads to kind of a big fight between the two sisters. Um, and we've sort of seen this since the beginning of the movie that Kit is always sort of playing second fiddle. She's not, she's a good pitcher, but she's just not up to the level that, that Dottie is. Um, and so she sort of is like, you're always holding me back and, and all this. And Dottie's like, when have I ever held you back? I've always been like a proponent of like you, you know, doing Succeeding. better and getting better. And so it, like, it's kind of like, you know, through and through sibling sister sort of rivalry. And um, Dottie sort of has this idea that the only way that they're going to, to make things better, she asked to be traded. Um, but in kind of a surprise move, she, she discusses this with Ira or really she says, I'm going to go home. She's like, she's like, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm going home. And Ira's like, what can we do to make this better? And she's like, trade me. And so Ira's like, all right, deal. I'll, I'll trade you, you know, like we'll get it done by tomorrow. Um, but then in a sort of surprise reversal, Kit comes storming into the house and turns out she's been traded to Racine instead. And she's got like 10 minutes to pack her stuff and get out. Um, so it, again, kind of leads to more infighting, you know, and like everybody's sort of surprised in the house. You get like this, this great scene where like the two of them come out of the storm and she's like, don't look at her, don't look at her, don't look at her. And it's so great. Like nobody wanted to make eye contact with Dottie as she comes out of the Yeah, that was pretty room. funny. Um, pretty funny. So Kit is off to join Racine. 
Um, so the next sort of scene we get is they're in the locker room and they're singing and the crappy little Stillwell's there. <laughs> and I oh, really, Stillwell. really starting to hate this kid, but they're singing the the like the anth- the like anthem, the, the theme song, whatever it is that they kind of come up with for the yeah. women's league, which ultimately you know circles back again towards the end of the movie. Um, and in the midst of this, a guy shows up with a telegram. Now, they've already sort of said somewhere else in this movie that, like, if somebody gets a telegram, it's bad news because, like, if you get, like, word from your husband, you know, it's one thing. But if you get a telegram, like, it it probably means your husband has been killed in the war. Yeah. So this guy, this kind of really, like, kind of dickhead telegram guy shows up. And for some reason, he's got the telegram, but he doesn't have the name for who it's supposed to be delivered to, which seems a little asinine. Yeah. Um. So uh, Jimmy says, like, just give me the telegram. He's like, no, 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 no. I got to get the name. And he's like, just give me the telegram. And he kicks the guy out and he reads it and he starts walking over towards Dottie's area. So you think Dottie's going to get the news that Bob has been killed. But it's, in fact, Betty's husband, George, who's dead. So Betty gets super duper upset uh, and they take her out. But it's like, all right, we still have to a game here to play today. So, so I want to point this out, right? So we've already lost Marla. Now we've lost Betty. We've also lost Kit. So out of the 16 players, we're down to 13. And then in the next couple of moments, we're going to meet Bob in a little bit. And Dottie leaves. So the team went from 16 to 12 (laughs) players in the playoffs. Off screen, they gain more players again. Um, Like they... I forget who it is, but they mentioned that they, they have, like, the catcher comes in to, to replace Dottie. So I think they basically had some, like, backup players. And I think, actually, um, I, Kit is a trade. So, like, presumably somebody came over for her. So that's, like, an even break. But it, it does seem like they're down a few players. They just, they don't really address it very well as to, like, who the replacements are. But at this point in the movie, I think it's also kind of unimportant. Um, so I'm going to get back to that because I think it is important. All right, fair enough. Uh, we cut to after the game where Dottie's in her bedroom crying. And I, I think it's just that she's caught up in her sister being traded off. She hasn't heard from Bob. Bob has been away on the front and hasn't heard from him. I think she got very upset over Betty's husband dying. And at that exact moment, Bill Pullman, <laughs> which I was really excited about because I forgot entirely that it's him. Who this character was in this. And I'm a big Pullman, big Bill Pullman person. So he showed up and he was so young and I was like, oh my God, look who it is. So I was like <laughs> really so excited um, that he popped in in this. And it's a bit part. Like he's only in like two scenes yeah. in the whole thing. Or maybe three scenes. He's but, got, you know, maybe a half a dozen lines in the whole movie too. Yeah, but it, it was exciting for me that Bill Pullman showed up. So he was discharged from the military. I believe he said he got shot by a sniper. Yes. Um, so he got discharged on, on the injury. Um, so what I I find interesting about it is like, he says, you know, he says like, it got six of us before we finally got him. And it made me wonder, like, was Betty's husband with him? With him. Yeah, that could be. Maybe. I don't know. It's sort of spread out all over. It's an interesting point though, because the timing does seem kind of coincidental. Um, so, uh, so the next day they're loading the bus um, and this is where we have the, he signs, the, the kids come over, like, hey, Mr. Dugan, you sign my baseball? He's like, wow, avoid the clap, Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> 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 Which is then I'm having to try and explain to a nine-year-old. She's like, what does that mean? And I'm just like, oh, it's a disease that you can get. So it's good advice not to get that disease. I didn't go into anything deeper <laughs> oh. than that. I was like, later, I was like, later in life, you'll understand that joke better. 
Um, but we look over and we see that Dottie's packing, I think, a Ford Model A to leave with Bob to head back to Oregon. So um, Jimmy kind of has it out with her. He's like, look, I gave away five years um, to my drinking. And he's like, I would give anything to get back to my career. He's like, you're throwing this all away. And she's like, you know what? It just got too hard. And he has a great line. I really liked. He says the hard is what makes it great. Um, and it's kind of like this nice poignant moment in the film finally where like, like all of a sudden it's come full circle. Like finally he cares. He gives a shit. And he's the legit coach. Yeah. He's he's, finally stepped into that management role. He doesn't want her to go. Um, but she's kind of made up her mind that she wants to, you know, like she's had too much of a falling out with the sister and then everything else. And she just wants to do what she said she was going to do, which is get back to, to Oregon with Bob and have kids. Like that's kind of just her plan. Um, so we get into the, the series. And um, like I said, now we're missing Marla. We've lost Betty. Now we've lost Gina Davis, Dottie's character, Dottie. And so we don't really see much of the actual series. It's just like, oh, Racine one, two, then the Peaches one. Yeah, and by and large, like, um, the Peaches are down for the most part. Like, right. it, they, they keep, like, basically, like, losing a couple games and coming back and tying it. And, um, and they, you know, they rally it up so it becomes three to three. And my thought process was, if Marla and Dottie were there, they probably would have swept the series. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah. Um. So uh, Jimmy wants to lead them in prayer, and I, I had to write down the prayer, which was in the trailer too. And I, you and I were giggling at it, but he says. Oh Lord, hallowed be thy name. May our feet be swift. May our bats be mighty. And may our balls be plentiful. plentiful. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, uh, he gets into some other portion where he's like, and like, you know, like, look out for that waitress in South Bend. You know the one she kept calling your name. <laughs> Go peaches. <laughs> it was so great. Um, so we're in this championship game because the series is tied, tied. This is all the marbles here. Um, Stillwell sucks. He's still terrible. Um, turns out that, um, Dottie is there after all, um, which I was surprised that Jimmy didn't notice because the, the regular catcher he's been using is sitting in the dugout while Dottie's actually taking the, uh, the batting practice. Um, Alice has been catching the last six games, I guess is what they said. Um, so, uh, You know, um, Stillwell, who is like, you're going to lose, you're going to lose the whole the whole thing. So <laughs> Tom Hanks goes into this fabulous, we're going to win, we're going to lose, we're gonna, and he just pegs Stillwell with a mitt, which like puts him on his, he goes, ha, got him. You know, it's like, like, we're going to win. Yeah, it's <laughs> such, such a great, great moment. I loved it. It was like so great to see Stillwell <laughs> finally get his comeuppance. Um, and uh, he when he calls Evelyn over, incredible. I don't remember what that. Oh yes, yeah. so he uh, so anyway he calls Evelyn over in the middle of the game, and he's 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 doing this thing with his finger to like call her over, and he's like doing all this stuff with his hands, like screaming at her, Tom Hanks, and I was just like absolutely cracking up with him dressing Evelyn down. Um, so we get um, Kit versus Dottie um, with like the pitching and hitting and things like that, and uh, Dottie. Absolutely um, slams the ball. Kit has to like do this like flying leap to duck out of the way for it, and it puts Rockford up. So I think it's one zero. 
Um, and they end up in the bottom of the ninth. And uh, Dottie does this like big dive into the dugout to catch a ball. Um, you know, doing all like all kind of pulling all the stops now. Uh, and Kit comes up to bat. And she's very upset. Like she's she's totally back to that same day that she'd been pitching. Dottie's like cold as steel. Like she's yeah. really like not really like giving her anything. And she calls a timeout to go talk to the the pitcher. And she says, "Throw a high fastball because she can't hit it now, and she can't lay off it." Exactly. Um, so we get a swing and a miss, strike one. We get another strike two, and then on the third, um, Kit actually gets an infield home run. Basically, she uh, um, she hits, and the the other player who has a third comes running around, and Kit's coming around, and she's supposed to stop at third base, but she keeps on going. And she runs at Dottie. Now, this is a bit of um, controversy that has lasted ever since um, in this film that I come to find out. Mm. That she runs at her at home plate and Dottie drops the ball and Kit is safe and which, Racine wins three to two. Which, like, the whole trope is that, like, Dottie's never dropped a ball. Like, she barehanded. So it's interesting. It. So uh, people have asked Gina Davis in interviews since. What's the deal? Did Dottie drop the ball for her sister or did Dottie just finally drop the ball? What happened there? And she says there's two answers to this question. She says, first of all, answer one, I know which it is. And answer two, I am never going to tell. So really? apparently she's going to the grave, Gina Davis, with with what the answer is to to that, because it's been apparently uh, debated, debated for years. Like I figure she dropped it for kid. That's what I think. It's an interesting thing. I, I don't know if I feel strongly one way or another because she was really cold as steel the whole way through. So I'll take the opposite stance. I feel like she just actually finally made a, a goof and dropped the ball when she got run over. Um, so uh, Racine ends up winning three to two. Dottie does seem happy to see Kit being celebrated. You know, Kit gets mm-hmm. thrown up on everybody's arms and they're they're cheering her around the field. Um, we get a scene with Henry and Ira and Henry says, you know what, we'll, we'll stick with it after all. So they're going to, they're going to keep the, the league going. Um, which again, in real life, I don't think was in question because it was very, very popular. Hmm. Um, which it kind of then becomes surprising to me that it only then runs for 12 years. And that, that's something that I'm actually curious after the movie and the podcast to go back and find out more about what ended up ultimately killing the league in in the fifties um, because it, it it did seem to run for for a period of time after that. Um, so uh, Kit and Dottie end up meeting after the game. Kit's signing um, some balls for us, I think, for some little girls. Uh, she's kind of having like a nice, finally, like hero moment where she finally, you know, yeah. became who she's been wanting to be this whole time. Um, and they sort of have like a nice conversation. Um, Kit says that she wants to stay. Dottie says she's leaving. She wants kids. Bob and her want kids. She's not going to be coming back for the second season. Um, and uh, she's going to miss the girl. She's going to miss her sister. They kind of have a nice embrace. They kind of like, you know, like they're back to, to kind of who they are. Um, you know, come see me for the holidays sort of things. Um, and that's where we get this line that you mentioned earlier, which is like, she's like, you know, like you got me into this league, you know, and she's like, I didn't get you in the league. I got you on the train. Um, so, uh, Dugan, uh, gets offered a management job for a triple A team in Arizona. He actually turns it down to stay with the girls team. Um, and they're getting on their buses, um, to kind of head away at the end of the film. I, I pointed out to Ange, 
I loved Racine's bus. Yeah. Such a stunning bus. It's like a beautiful. Bus, like right? it's so funny. Like, you know, like we have buses in modern times that are like, you know, they, they get you around and do whatever, but like there's just nothing like that era like bus. It's just beautifully designed yeah. sort of and it was just a really cool looking uh, it was like a dumb point but I just I was like wow I was like really like that bus um so we cut back to the present time uh and, and you know I just kind of have a series of notes here just to sort of finish us out but uh you know like uh Dottie basically shows up um and meets the women of the, of the original team at the at like the ball field and they end up uh, getting like uh, together and they go to the Baseball Hall of Fame to see this opening of this uh, women's section. So we find out that Bob passed away a couple of years ago or like the last winter. Um, we, we meet Stillwell again as an adult. His mom died recently. Uh, we see a sign with Jimmy Dugan that says that he died in 1987. Um, Ira's there and they ask him to cut the ribbon because they say that like, you know, you kept our league going all those years. It's only right if you cut the ribbon. Um, and she, Dottie finds a photo of Dottie and Kit. Now I was getting worried at this point that Kit was dead because she wasn't there with the team, but here comes Kit and she's got an extended set of grandchildren and family and they all got red hair. And I will say this, the movie version of older Lori Petty looks more like Lori Petty than Lori Petty does today. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And I think it was actually a really good um, choice on their part to go with older actresses because basically, and I found this in the notes, that they basically said, we thought about doing the old age makeup for a minute, but they're like, particularly at that point in time, it just didn't look well, and they just decided it made more sense to just go with like older folks just to do it. So I thought that was a clever idea. Um, and it, uh, they're singing their song for the league again. Mm. That's when kid enters with the grandkids and they're like, let's do a team picture. And so they, they do like a team picture of them and it cuts to the original peaches team picture to end the film. out. Um, and then they uh, kind of go into like a nice, um, credit roll that actually is, um, all footage from the actual proper, yeah, actual news. It's almost like a post credit scene in a way when, yeah. It is, and it was fun to watch. They, it's probably at least five minutes of, of footage um, of the original like Peaches teams and like the original um, teams from the league. So it was kind of cool um, seeing that. So Zoe was also interested to like watch some of that a little bit afterwards. Um, again, overall, like super enjoyable movie, yeah. a lot of fun. Um, I think perfectly cast. Like, there's nobody that I think I would really have thought to replace any of these roles. I think they did a good job with sort of landing the minute. That said, like we said, there is a couple characters that are sort of underserved by the story. They kind of only, they introduce them to you ultimately to not do much with them, um, which is kind of a bummer. I do also, this is probably Gina Davis's best role too. For sure, yeah. No, I, I mean, like, I, I'm i not saying I'm not a Gina Davis fan, but like, I just, I kind of like could take her or leave her in most things. She was really, really good and stand out in this. I think she really like, the whole movie hinges on her and she just did a really, really great job with it. Um, otherwise, again, like a just fun flick, um, well worth seeing again after all these years. And and it was interesting going into it with a different perspective as an adult, as a parent, parent of girls. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed watching it. Uh, you know, it is longer than I thought. I thought some scenes could be cut out, but overall I thought it was fantastic. Well, and again, the other thing too, I would mention, because we so have to often mention this, the other direction 
we often talk about on this podcast the problem through the 30-year prism. You know, what stands up in 2022. And this movie stands, stands up in 2022 up, because totally. it, it's probably, a, a, you know, I think even at the time, I, I read in one of the quotes that, um, you know, like I said, some of the women that were really trying out for this movie, they had read the script and they're like, you know, like, we don't have these movies then and we don't have them now. I think this yeah. was a 2017 sort of thing that so positively show like something in women's history and, and, you know, it's like sort of portray it in like a wonderful way. And they did and, and they do. And it's like a really, just a really poignant movie. Um, maybe one other final note to send this movie out on, as far as our podcast goes, this is technically the most successful baseball movie of all time. And that includes movies like Moneyball um and really? uh, yeah several other more you know more more modern baseball movies this is still to date financially the most success, successful baseball movie of all time even more than rookie of the year in yes, sandlot yes than all of them yes so it, it it's kind of wow. a cool fact that um you know i think you had mentioned last episode that like at the baseball hall of fame i think you had said that you'd seen um that the section where this wasn't you said it wasn't really like even as impressive or big looking as it is in the movie I really hope that they change or do something different with that, or if they haven't already, that, that that's not the case. But um, it's neat that a, a movie about women's baseball is the all-time best baseball movie as far wow. as you know financial success in a in a in a mm-hmm. movie goes. So I thought that was kind of a kind of a cool thing. That's so, very cool. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for us uh, this month on Box Office Thirty. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us over on our social channels. Michael, tell them where to go. <laughs> so you can find us on the Twitters at Box Office Three Zero, same as Facebook, Box Office Three Zero, and on Instagram, Box Office T H I R T Y. And you can go to our Box Office Thirty dot com website and uh, hit us up anywhere. Check out our back episodes there. We're you know, we get our most communication on Twitter and we really enjoy hearing people's feedback and their ribbings of me and my <laughs> ineptitude at times. So it's very enjoyable to, to read and, and chat along with people. And check out the other Retro Network shows. There's so many fantastic episodes of different content. You like wrestling and comics and whatever. There's a little bit of everything for everybody. And I, one thing I'll point out um, is that they're doing like the sort of summer camp thing right now, which they've also done a little bit in the past. And it's really neat to check out. Um, they replay and they kind of, uh, Jason and them curate a lot of older episodes or older articles that have been on the retro network over the past few years. And I noticed he posted the other day, he sort of reposted some of our first um, episodes again, like our, uh, really our uh, total recall episode and our um, Die Hard two episode, because they're relevant to this time period. Mm-hmm. And, um, 1990s. So, it, fun way to go back two and sort of, years ago. Yeah, check out. Yes, Jeez. yeah, 50 episodes ago. Yeah, wow. some of our uh, some of our stuff. Cool so, bananas. Um, so feel free to go back, check out our old um, episodes. There's a bunch of them available anywhere you can download podcasts, but also over on our website, boxoffice30.com. Again, work in progress. I'm always trying to add our back catalog of episodes and new episodes over there. But um, you can also pop over to our website to get a link to our T public store where you can check out uh, some of our merch <laughs> to see if you pick up some of our uh, t-shirts or hats or fun stuff for the summer. So yeah. 
feel free to support us over there on our on our uh, T Public site. What we always <laughs> neglect to say is, if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a like. You know, give us a comment on iTunes, or you know, give us five stars. I'd love to hear from people. You know, on iTunes, and see what you think of our show. We really enjoy it. We you said we had what like over two thousand downloads. Last yes, time. yeah, over twenty one hundred downloads so far. And as usual, big thank you to our current listeners for that. But uh, if you like what you hear on the show, you know, share us with your friends. Let some people know about it. Share us on your socials. We're just trying to get out there to, to more listeners so we can keep on doing this uh, and, and have a fun time bringing this to you every month. And I might make this the official podcast couch when we, <laughs> when we do this. This is quite comfortable. I, I'm quite enjoying it. But listen, you know, also, thank you to Jason and Mickey from the Retro Network. And listen, everybody, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this uh, review of... A league of their own, and we'll see you next month. Well, before we duck out, let's talk a little bit our our listener poll for this upcoming month. All right, so oh man, we've got some winners, I think. So, so here's here's the movies that I'm thinking of throwing onto the list. All right, Uh, you'll tell me what you think. So, number one is going to be Unforgiven. Number two, Death Becomes Her. Number three, just because this is where it's at in the list, single white female. And I'm going to skip League of the Rome, which is at number four, down to number five for three ninjas. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> okay. So you, th- you thought League of Their Own was long. Unforgiven is real long. Yes. Um, I love that movie, but it's long. And I got to do the notes next month. Oh, boy, they're going to get me for that one. Now, here's one thing I'm willing to make an exception in this list, because I, I don't really care so much about single white female. And I don't think it's going to end up on the list. So here's my my other wild card. So here's my alternate take. You tell me which of the two you think you'd rather do. So that first list or Unforgiven, Death Becomes Her, Three Ninjas, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'll take that for a dollar, <laughs> sir. All right. Fair enough. So I think we're going to throw that one in there um, and we'll see where we go with that. Uh, so we'll throw that pull up uh, in the coming days. Knowing you guys, it's going to be three ninjas. I, I, I really, this is my <laughs> plead to you guys to please do three ninjas. <laughs> Rocky loves Emily. Rocky loves Emily. <laughs> We're never going to find it on the internet either. It's going to be so hard. I probably got to copy this, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was so into three ninjas as a kid. But wherever it goes, um, those are our, those will be our picks for the next month for August '92. So we'll see what we end up with. And the Batman episode's coming out. If it didn't already come out, the Batman episode is out. I ended up throwing that. You know, like I say, we normally do the second and fourth weeks in a month, um, but I ended up just throwing that in our first week. It's been a little bit of a week here for me, so. Fourth of July. Kind we're of probably going to end up because this is a five Friday month. What I think I'm going to end up doing is first, third, and fifth Friday. That makes sense. Um, and hopefully Jason doesn't mind. <laughs> I'm a little off my schedule here this month, but I, I hopefully that'll work. Um, it's all good. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the uh, the bonus um, Batman Returns episode with Michael, Stephen, and his wife Annie um, that are I threw up on uh, our feed. So fun to check out. Well, we'll see you next month, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends. There's no crying in podcasting. (laughs) I get out of this table, there will be. (laughs) This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.